Joseph here is today. He's a good example of persistence. He's just come back from Italy after having run a 118-kilometer race. Uh, I think it took him about 20 hours. So I think I might have done 118 kilometers in about 20 days if I'm lucky. So that's an example of persistence, keeping going. It's a bit like Clark Kent. It's very mild-mannered, but once he puts a cape on, <laughs> no stopping. But come up and say hi to my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, Yusuf and Emily there. And let's look at this second parable. So if we've comforted the afflicted, let's try and afflict the comfortable. Um, we have this story again of uh, two characters, again very different. Um, the first, a Pharisee, and the second, a tax collector. And of course, into our minds, perhaps springs about the Pharisee slightly wrong conceptions, because for us, having read the Gospels and knowing the ending of everything, feel like the Pharisees are the bad guys. They're, you know, they're the ones who have their arguments with Jesus and seem to always be on the wrong side. But for those days, it's worth reminding ourselves that they were actually very good people. They were the evangelical Christians of the day, if you like. They paid attention to the word. They tried to live and follow God as best they could. They were very concerned about temple worship and all the rituals. And their heart was to please God and to be this righteous group among the people of God who they recognized were often just paying lip service to, to being Jews, if you like. So perhaps we could um, put this more this parable as, as the bishop went up to pray with a thief. Then we have more of a category we can, we can relate to. Or an evangelical pastor went up with a homeless person to pray. And so the disciples hearing this, we, haven't, we, haven't, we aren't told that anyone else is listening yet, although the crowd may be there, the Pharisees themselves may be there. Jesus tells this parable again, we're told why, by Luke, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else. And we immediately think, oh yeah, the Pharisees. But Jesus is still telling this to his disciples as much as anyone else. And it's a story I think we can relate to if we dig into it a bit and understand things, rather than just saying, well, you know, Pharisees obeying the law thought they were good. We're not like that. We know we're saved by grace. But let's, so let's try and understand this parable a bit better and look at it and see what we can learn, how we can apl apply it to ourselves. Now, they go up to the temple to pray, and this probably means it's the usual time of public worship, which would have been one of the two services that went along with the sacrifice of a lamb a year old that happened in the morning, and afternoon, evening time, every day, as a daily sacrifice reminding the people of Israel that they were forgiven, their sins were forgiven, they were part of the people of God through the shedding of blood, through the sacrifice, and that this was pleasing to God, the sacrifice would please God. So we often view the Pharisees and, Israel, and Judaism itself as kind of a works-based religion. If you do the right things, you're acceptable to God. And that is true to a certain extent, but they also understood that their chosenness was based on God's grace, God's mercy. He repeats that time and time throughout the Old Testament. I chose you as a people, not because of your specialness, but out of my mercy. And these sacrifices were to remind them that their forgiveness was always through sacrifice, never through what they did. And God's favor was through the sacrifice as well. So it's not just simply works against grace in this case. They, they both, both characters, the Pharisee and the tax collector, depend on God's grace, if you like. But only one goes home justified, and it would surprise Jesus' disciples when he gets to the punchline and says it's not the Pharisee. 
So let's look at him a little bit. In verse 11, we read that he stood by himself as he prayed. He was apart from the other worshippers. He had kept all the cleanliness rules. He had washed himself, done the right things, and he didn't want to be contaminated by other people who may not have been as strict as he was, because that would ruin his standing with God. It's kind of like when we go to the loos at the service station, we kind of pick our way through hoping not to be contaminated by everything around us. Well, that's how he viewed the other people. You know, these are unclean. I've got to get there and pray by myself. That's not because he's, you know, just being a show-off. It's because he doesn't want to be unclean. But he was being a show-off. And then he kind of acts like a good evangelical. He prays aloud, telling everyone else what's wrong with them. says, thank you, God, that I am not like these, these, and these, and even that worthless tax collector over there. It sounds kind of a, a caricature, but in fact, some Jewish prayers were very much like that particularly of the Orthodox Jews. I thank God I'm not like this, this, and this. So it was, it was, in a way, acknowledging that he owed it to God. But then he goes on to say how righteous he is. I thank God, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. So not only does he keep the law, but he exceeds the law. By law, you only had to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. He does it twice a week. By law, you only had to tithe certain things, but he tithes all his income. So he is this God-fearing, upright man, everything, that, if you like, that the judge of the previous parable wasn't. And so when the people looking at him would say, yeah, this is a holy guy. This is surely the one who's righteous before God. So what is happening with him is he's accepting that the sacrifice gives him forgiveness, gives him acceptance before God, but he believes his way of keeping the law makes him exalted before God in a special way. He should receive special favor because he's among a select group that really understand things. So what Jesus says at the end to him will be a big shock. Then our second character, the tax collector, someone we kind of all identify with, standing far off, knew his own unworthiness, and didn't even want to come near the others, it says in verse 13. It says he beats on his chest, which is a way of showing extreme anguish. And... The heart, the chest, was kind of the source of evil, so he's showing remorse for his sin, for his wickedness. And he prays and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And actually the words used there is more than just have mercy in a general sense. He's saying, God, make atonement for me. And when we think that this sacrifice going on is that picture of God forgiving the people of Israel, it seems like he's praying, God, may this sacrifice be applied even to me. The same word is used in Hebrews 2.17 when Jesus as high priest makes propitiation, that is, he brings forgiveness for the sins of the people through his death. And so this Pharisee knows he's a sinner, knows he's unworthy, knows he can't come near, but desperately hoping against hope that that sacrifice he's just seen of the Lamb would somehow apply to him, even in his wickedness. And of course, Jesus' hearers at this point will be saying, well, he has no chance. His lifestyle rules him out. The Pharisee is justified, look at his life, super exceeding the law, and then we have this miserable guy here, the traitor to the people, and we know what they were like. But it's his desperate prayer that wins out in the end. And this is the, the conclusion that Jesus gives, the sting in the tail, if you like. Yes, both tax collector and Pharisee are dependent on coming to God through the sacrifice. But the Pharisee, through his holy life, thinks he's exalted himself before God. He's gained special status. The tax collector, knowing he's a sinner, 
has thrown himself upon the mercy of God. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Verse 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I think, particularly as evangelicals, we really get the tax collector. We understand we're sinners, we're saved by grace. And it, it's, it's a great encouragement. We see if a, Jesus declares a tax collector righteous on the death of a lamb in the temple, how much more are we justified by the death of the Lamb of God once and for all? So this is the gospel in a nutshell. And it's an amazing gospel that it doesn't matter what we've done, whether we're rotten like the tax collector, we can still come to God and fall on his mercy and Jesus promises he will exalt us. Not he will make us look good before others, but he will bring us into his presence as justified, as righteous. So we get the tax collector, but I think sometimes we rule out the Pharisee as a comparison for us. But I, when I think about it, I think sometimes I, I'm a little bit more like him than I want to admit. I often come to God based not on his grace, but my performance as a Christian. If I've had a good week with my quiet time every day and I've ticked off my Bible readings for getting through the Bible and I have not yelled at my wife or my kids, I'm kind of coming into God's presence a bit, here I am, God, I've been good this week. Let's have a chat. Whereas if I've you know, screwed up royally in every possible way, I'm kind of slinking in like the dog with the tail between the legs. In effect, although I say, yes, I'm saved by grace, I believe I come to God on my, I, I in effect come to God on my performance. And Jesus is saying it does not work like that. Your performance does not lift you up to God. His grace does, which is why we always have to keep coming humbly to him. No matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how well the week has gone, if you like. Uh, Chris posted on Facebook a couple of weeks ago a quote by a guy with the name of Arthur Pink. So long as a person is puffed up with a sense of their own ability to respond to God's requirements, he or she will never become a beggar at the footstool of divine mercy. And that is what we are in effect. We come to his divine mercy with nothing to offer, but he gives us everything. And so he exalts us. And then I see another way that I'm like the Pharisee in that I can become so convinced of my own rightness and righteousness that like... At the beginning it says, Jesus told this parable for people convinced of their own righteousness and who look down on everybody else. As a good Christian upstanding, I can begin to think I am more right than others and begin to look down on the others, whether it's the drug addicts, the criminals, or other Christians, just because they don't follow my standards. I can become an evangelical Pharisee. And so I am challenged by this parable. One commentator writing about the Pharisee says, if grace does not lead to grace, it turns out not to have been grace after all. If grace doesn't lead to grace, receiving God's grace, if that doesn't lead to giving out God's grace, it turns out not to have been grace at all. We are called to humbly come dependent on his grace and to humbly live with one another offering his grace. That is something that challenges us from this Pharisee. He was a great guy, upstanding. When he prayed, he wasn't being too much of a show off. He was just praying the way they prayed. And he was genuinely seeking to be with God. But because he was lifting himself up and condemning others, 
God said he didn't go home justified. Let's be more like this tax collector who throws himself completely on God's mercy, but also let's learn to extend that same grace to others. So this also is something that we need to hear. So we've had two parables, one that encourages us to keep going no matter what, however desperate the circumstances are, to persist in prayer, and one that invites us to humbly come into God's presence as sinners justified by the death of the Lamb. Amen.